Hello everyone, my name is Kendall and welcome to Unofficial Book Club, where life and stories meet. And just like any book club, we'll only be spending half the time actually talking about books. And this is that half. In these book club episodes of this podcast, my guests and I will be bonding over my favorite hobby, reading. Getting to know their relationship to books, the ones they love, the ones that have made the biggest impact on them, and so much more. Now, before we get started, I want to remind you that my guests and I will be sharing our own personal experiences, opinions, and possible book spoilers throughout this episode and all future episodes. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of this book club episode. I'm joined again with the co-authors of Unwrapped, The Pursuit of Justice for Women Educators, Dr. Kendra Washington-Bass and Kelly Beeks-Horner. Thank you both for being here again. I know. Glad to be having us. And now we get to talk all about your book. So which hold on. Yep. Yep. This, you mean this book right here? This book. You mean this one for 1995 on Amazon? Yes. This one, this one. This one, this one. Well, I'm super excited, but I want to first start with, can you tell us a little bit about how you both met just your origin story together? Hmm. Picture this, <laughs> yeah. Picture this, two thousand and eight ish, two thousand and nine. Little yes. Sophia. The time you. would be <laughs> little Golden Girls moment. Um, yeah. So we met uh, at work. So I was working for a school district in Georgia, and Kelly was working for a major organization. Um, actually, she was working for Gallup. I was working for Gwinnett County Public Schools, and we were a client of the Gallup organization. Now, we had been a client with Gallup for years prior, I think since maybe the 70s mm-hmm. um, in Gwinnett County Public Schools. And then um, I met Kelly uh, through an HR training around one of their tools. And it was my first time because I was still learning on the job, some of those tools that we were using in developing and hiring and um, coaching, uh, teachers and principals. And she walks in and she spit fire. And I'm like, Oh, she's an interesting part, like person. Cause I'm, I'm from New York and I've come down to the South, which is a little more even killed, a little slower pace, uh, a different culture, a different way of talking and being, and so I felt like I was a little out of place, but when seeing Kelly, I was like, okay, there's someone that seems that that's relatable to me. And, um, and I think she recognized that too, that I seemed a little out of place <laughs> and, uh, a little bit. and then we said, yes, yeah, just a little bit out of place. And bit. then we, we just connected and stayed connected from that moment really as, um, sort of colleagues in the work. Yeah. 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 And, and I loved, um, going to Gwinnett and when I was the consultant, um, from Gallup, I loved going there because it was different than any other client that we had where, you know, I'd walk in and I would have to present. It never felt like I always had to present. It felt like with Kendra and, and maybe Glenn Pethel, who was mm-hmm. also, she worked with, I would say the two of you were more, I more felt like partnership, you know, 
what can we do together? Here's what we know. Here's what we know. And, and it wasn't like that everywhere else. So I think, I think the relationship was so different. Um, uh, and it's how we, that we, and because of that, we got to know each other over time on a personal level, you know, where I got to know, you know, I got to meet um, her youngest son because he would, you know, work there in the summers and I would, you know, come for the summer leadership conference and things like that. The the other thing, and Kendra has said this before, you know, Kendra, Kendra came from New York. She's working in Gwinnett outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, the culture's a little slower. People talk a little slower. Glenn would say things and in my head, I'm going, come on, speed it up. I know where you're going, but you know, Kendra and I would finish each other's sentence. We talk each other over each other, but we're having a conversation the whole time. We still do yeah. that today. And we're like, you get it, you get it. Yeah, okay, okay. Ready, yeah. ready, break. Let's go. You know? And so we finally found each other that had that same kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, so from there on in, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I need I, I need to I need to know and, this girl. Yeah, yeah. I said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did you decide to write this book? <laughs> Tell it, Kelly. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find the text that you sent okay, me in so, 2020. Yeah. So this oh was Lord. in 2020 oh when, um, so if your listeners listened to the previous episode, um, I talk about how 2020, you know, the world had shut down for COVID. Um, we were all in our respective homes. Um, I had already gone through some kind of workplace issues and trauma had left Gallup. Kendra was starting to go through some of her issues and trauma at work. And we, we just started talking and we would get together on zoom every once, uh, once a week. And we would just talk about, what do we want to do? Let's do something together. What do we want to do? We weren't quite sure. And, and the way Kendra and I work is we say we're going to meet for an hour and we talk about everything, but what, what we're going to, we're supposed to do for 55 minutes. And then the last minute, five minutes is thank heavens. We both talk really fast. So the last five minutes is you do this. Okay. You do this. Okay. Ready break. Okay. We'll meet again next week. So, so I had, had already kind of started this idea of writing a book and I had an outline and I, and I wasn't thrilled about it. And I knew I wanted it to circle around women's leadership, but I was like, "Mm, I don't want to do this by myself. So I just texted her one day and said, hey, you want to write a book about women's leadership together? And she texted back right away. Yes. So there was no like big coming meeting of the minds and Mm -hmm. we're going to do and it and then we just took off and we met every week. We would Mm -hmm. assign each other chapters. Here's what we're going to do. We would we would read each other's chapters in between. Again, we'd come back every week for an hour, 55 minutes. We're about, hey, what's going on with you? Let me just complain about my husband for a minute. Let me just talk about my kids. Let me just, <laughs> let me tell you what else is going on. Let me, and then the last five or 10 minutes was like, you need to rewrite that chapter. I want to know more about this. I want to, and, and I say that because, you know, we wrote it all on Google Docs. So through the week, we're still getting uh, messages from each mm-hmm. other, but, but we did that for two years. Wow. Um, and so it took us about two years to write this book um, and until, you know, I, one of my favorite, um, uh, authors said, I heard her say, um, there's never a perfect book. Mm. You know, you could, you can spend your lifetime editing and re-editing a book. So it finally, at some 
point in time we had to birth this baby and put it out in the world so Mm -hmm. that's how that's how it came together so so anyone who's thinking of writing a book don't wait you know the 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 sky doesn't have to open the the lightning bolts don't have to come down you don't have to do this huge just say i'm writing this thing and just start Mm -hmm. writing so so i found a text message it's a series of interesting things before it it's like oh i can't you know what are you doing is this your personal cell wait, I got to pick your brain about something. So all of that's happening like months before. And then it was June 11th, Thursday, June 11th. You said, hey, I'm my writing friend. this day down. I know, June 11th. Hey, my friend, is this your personal cell? And I wrote, yes, right? And she's like, good. I can't stop thinking about our last conversation. I want to keep thinking about, about that and would love to envision teaming up on something big and bold together. I don't know what yet, I will keep thinking, are you open to an idea? Yeah. And I wrote, yes, yes. And then she goes, yeah, let's, let's schedule a time. Agreed. Right. Okay. Wait, then. So this is now two weeks later. And here was the, here was the, the question. June 24th. I want to start a women in education Institute. And I wrote me too. I want to talk about women of color. And she's like, yeah. Okay. She's like, I want to be partners. Let's keep thinking. I mean, it just goes on from there, but it was, I, I want to, start doing this. Like, okay. And then it goes silent for a little bit. Cause then Julian does his thing and becomes famous. Um, mm-hmm. but that was the, that was it. I want to start a woman in education Institute. Me too. <laughs> I want to okay, talk about women of color. Yeah. And you wrote, yes. <laughs> and then you said, I want us to take in issues that affect women at all levels in education, but mostly leadership the impact of well-being, big issue for women, the patriarchal culture, school board expectations for women, issues on effects of women of color, plus integrate. I mean, you go, you, you go into a whole thing after, yes. And he's like, let's be partners. I mean, it was like, okay. Yeah. There's like no, almost no fear to that. Just like this, like immediate determination and kind of solidarity and just like, yeah. So how did that work when it came to writing it? Like you, did you know what you were going to write? Did you know how the the book was going to be structured? Like I know the first part of it, you do have your origin stories, which you tell. And how did you plan that out? So here is what is, I think, the beauty and the beauty and sort of interesting thing about Kelly and I, and that I've definitely learned about her, Right. Like Kelly is the researcher. Hmm. She's going to pull at all those books, something on the articles, a TikTok, a podcast. Hmm. She's going to do all of that, right? Hmm. I'll do that, but not to the level that Kelly does it. Like I will do it. I will do it as I go, hmm. right? So I usually start with like, how do I want to design this? Mm-hmm. off the top of my head. And I'm definitely pulling on probably research and stuff like that. But I start from like blank slate and do. Kelly was the person that came up with like a design template for this book, right? So I give her credit for that because she was just like, here's what I was researching. And I was looking at this and th- this is where you can structure this. And then this is whole formula around how to write an Orion story. And I was like, well, shit, just write. What about this? <laughs> I, you want me to- what I gotta follow who's the formula for something? She she was the person who was like, it could look like this, mm-hmm. right? And the push and pull is that 
it's a well-designed book, right? Because of that. The push for me with her was tell the story. Let's not make this a scientific, data-rich book about all of the numbers. Mm-hmm. Like, let them get into us. So that would be our sort of debate going back was she, I would want to be like, give me the data, Kelly. And then I would say, okay, now you got too much data in, in there. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's pull it back. But, but yeah, she was the one who sort of uh, looked up sort of book <laughs> creating templates or ways to get this started. And then I just, I followed her lead on that. And then Cause that's not my, that's not my sh- strength and not in the same way that she thinks about it. Yeah. And, um, I had been, you know, part of that was coming off, coming out of Gallup. Right. So mm-hmm. I had the, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an international research company. And so I knew some of the data around what impacts people at work. And then I knew some of the, it, that if we, and, and I had read on top of that, what was impacting women in the workplace. And so if you saw, and, and I think I still have like all of our old Google, um, uh, you know, the draft, Kendra's comments almost every time would come back to me saying, I want to know more about your dad. I want to know more about where you live. What does this house look like? What was the neighborhood look like? Because I was so in my head mm-hmm. about, and on, t- and so the, the, the gift I got from partnering with Kendra is not being afraid to tell more of, to share more of who I am, not by, not to hide behind the data, you know, and to tell that story. At the same time, I saw this quote, and I believe it was Anne Lamont that said, if you wanted me to write something nice about you, you should have behaved differently. So when I was writing about my work experience and things like that, and I was kind of dancing around it and Kendra would say, "Mm, no, that's not what you told me last week, or that's not what you told me last month, or when you were going through it, that's not what you said, tell the story. And so probably that's why we wrote, at least for me, wrote my origin story five or six times, because every time I would add more of myself into it and not be afraid. And then when I got to the point said, this is the way I saw, this is my lens. This is what Mm -hmm. I experienced. And I owe it not just to myself to tell that story, but I owe it to other women because other women are going through the very same mm-hmm. thing and they need to be able to say, me too, and mm-hmm. here's what happened to me. And mm-hmm. that's the reason why we started with our origin stories. Yeah, no, I love that. And I, it it helps me see and feel a little bit of what you both were thinking because I remember picking it up and one being super excited because I know Kelly, I know you personally. So I was super excited about this. I heard you talk about Kendra for years. So I was really excited about this, but I'm going to be honest. I was like, okay, I'm excited to read this, but I didn't know how it would connect with me because I'm not in education. I'm not in a leadership role. I'm, I'm the only part I was like, oh, I'm a woman. Like I'll, this is the part I'll get, but I loved it. And I think because you both put so much of your own personal story and heart and were open and honest alongside the data and you know, the history, the pieces of history that you pull in. And then you also put in questions for all of us readers to sit back and think about, which, you know, doing our own homework and actually having to like self-reflect, I loved it. But how did you, was it scary to like put 
truly yourself out there and tell your real personal story and go into your own history and, and self-reflect like that for an audience that, you know, is going to read your book. Cause I appreciated it. I loved it. Yeah. 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 It was, it, it was scary yet therapeutic. Like I did not, I did not have my family read the book at all until, oh. until we were like, I think this is it. Wow. That I did share one portion of the book because I was actually debating whether or not I should share portions of the story with family members for like verification, right? Or mm-hmm. whatever. And um, I don't know if it was you, Kelly, or somebody else said, don't like, don't do that mm-hmm. because they may influence the way you tell the story. Tell it from the way that you recall it. Yes. Tell it from how you felt not to help them feel better about what is happening. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. okay. So I, I actually kept it away from the family. My family got the book when we were able to sell the book mm-hmm. and they read it then. Um, and then we started to get the feedback from them. You know, my husband gave me really, um, I would say interesting thing. He was very emotional around the book. I mean, we had a, a moment. He was just like, I just some of the stuff you said in there, even for him, it was a surprise the way that I wrestled with moments that he didn't know that I was wrestling with, even within our own marriage, you know, being a mom, being a wife, um, and then working. I think he saw he saw what he what I showed him, but not, you know, deep inside. So yeah, it was um it was hard, which is why we spent, Kelly and I spent 55 minutes talking about ourselves versus talking about the book. Because mm-hmm. I think we, we, in our own way, needed to wrestle with our own sort of lives in this book. Mm-hmm. And then the, the conversation she and I had together was healing, right? It was like, okay, let's take our minds off of the hard stuff we're saying as we're writing it on these, these pages and just like, talk about something else, right? Talk about your dog. Let's talk about your children. Let's talk about a movie, uh, something to sort of keep us going, but at the same time, like let our brains rest a bit on the emotional roller coaster we were going through. That's yeah. my perspective of it. Yeah, I agree. And hard, yes. And if if I, if I was on a roll for several days, I needed to walk away for several days. Mm-hmm. I needed to just go, okay, I'm, I just relived, you know, that piece that was so hard. I just relived that depression. I just lived, relived mm-hmm. that, you know, heart issue. I just, I need to just walk away from that and not write it for a couple of days and not even look at it for a couple of days. And, and our, our conversations that were, um, not necessarily of the book, but I think kept our head in the work cleansing. You know, you mm-hmm. almost needed like that, just a mm-hmm. mind cleansing to go on to the next thing. The other thing is, you know, writing a book like this, because it's so much from our perspective and from our experience, checking in with people to get all the little details right, could have, could have also not stalled us, but almost paralyzed us. Because if we, if we, if, if we didn't get it 100% right, we would be fact-checking everything. The thing that we fact-checked the most was data. 
mm-hmm. was was research that we put in there were were things like that. We made sure we annotated that and all of that. But the rest of it was from our perspective. This is how we felt it. This is how we lived through it. This is how, and we may not have gotten that one little tidbit right, or you know, the name of that store or the name of that street or whatever it is, but but that's irrelevant in the big picture of the story. So, you know, and I think that, you know, for any woman in particular out there that wants to write a book, just know, you know, emotions are not, are not binary. You're not going to go into the say, I'm going to be all courageous. You can be courageous and really anxious about doing it at the exact same time. And that's okay. And that's okay. And, And, you know, and where it was most anxious is when we clicked the button and said it to our editor and said, our publisher and said, we're We're done. done. Wow. And then the day on January 17th, when it went out on Amazon and all every other book publisher or or seller, we were like, this is it. This is it. I mean, you can get hung up in, did I spell their name right? Did I hear, here's one other thing that I think we did. And we did this very consciously. We stayed in our lane. Mm. We, Mm -hmm. we stayed in our lane around I can write from a white woman's perspective. I can, I cannot write from Kendra's perspective. I didn't, that's not my lived experience. Mm-hmm. We know that members of the women who are members of the LGBTQ plus community are, are thought about in this book, but those aren't our lived experiences to write about. We can't, we, we can't write, we, we, know, we see you, we know you, we believe that you're going through some things that might be similar and different. But we stayed in what we know based mm-hmm. on our own lived experiences. Too often, you know, white people try to write about the black experience when hello. Yeah. They never, you know, they don't know that. So we we very consciously made sure we yeah. stayed with what we knew and what we experienced and we stayed in our lane. Yeah. No, and I commend you both because that really the heart that you put into the story and your perspectives and your experience helped me connect to it in a different way, appreciate it, feel like I saw a piece of, you know, an experience I had, especially like you both talking about leaving a toxic work environment. I was like, I've been there. And I like feel that. And I appreciate that. And, you know, then on top of all the data that educated me and helped me learn things. And so I, I loved it. It was so good. I'm I'm so happy to read it. Thank Thank you. And so the title, Unwrapped, and the cover, because the cover art is beautiful. How did you come up with the title? What does it mean to you? And then the same with the cover of the book. So the the title and the cover um, have significant meaning. So the the title is is has duality in it, right? There is there was a magazine that we were featured in um, called Global Fluency. And the magazine was the first time that Kelly and I co-wrote the experience that we share in the sort of center of the book. The book is anchored around this moment in um, August of 2020, where I was making the seemingly probably easy decision to some people, very complex decision for me to go to work 
wearing a head wrap, to go to work dressing differently than what was sort of the conservative way of looking, sounding, presenting yourself, especially as a Black woman. And Kelly and I had the conversation. So remember now in June, she's like, let's do this Woman Institute thing and write a book and do all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it, especially about Black women. So we started talking. So by this time, we're, you know, three months, almost three months in of lots of conversation. And I explained to her that I want to go to work wearing something different. And her response back was like, is it in a policy that you can't wear it? And that's where the relationship and the conversation turned. Because I first was like, well, no, it ain't no damn policy, right? (laughs) No, you're not getting what I'm trying to tell you. Right. Mm-hmm. And and she went silent. And I offloaded sort of my fear, the history, the conditioning, all the things that we sort of talk about in all the other chapters of the book, like in this one quick conversation around, no, I can't wear it because I'll be seen as this, or I'm fearful because of this. This is not the way that um, I'll be treated. I mean, I'll be seen. I could be treated. There could be repercussions. There's all mm-hmm. these other things um, based on experiences perceived and real. And her silence and listening was 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 her way of showing up, you know, as an ally for me in that moment. And that the the picture. I know to people are listening, but I have a a picture behind me, which is a drawing she sent to me um, after that moment. So I did go to work with the wrapped head. And um, I also have that text message where, you know, I sent her, uh, send her a text and um, let her know what I decided because I was still uncertain about what to do the next day. Um, So while we talk about the rap being a symbol of my sort of authenticity in terms of expressing my Afrocentric, you know, way of being. It also is about that conversation and how we have to unwrap the other layers we've put on, the assimilation layers, the white dominant culture layer that I was wrapping myself into to feel worth. Um, And that became sort of the pinnacle of the way that we were going to write this book mm-hmm. is to uncover, unwrap the layers of supremacy, whether it's misogyny, patriarchy, all the ease and isms um, to strip down to showing up the way we want to be, right? And, and doing it bravely and unapologetically, which is a journey. It's not, you don't arrive mm-hmm. to that. It's constant forces that pull on you as your own forces within your own head that pulls you back into that safe space. And it should be, right? I mean, that's the way that humans work. We we have fight, flight, or stay still, right? So the, the cover needed to emit the same thing. We wanted it to be not just a Black face, not just a white face, but the multifaceted intersectionalities of our identities. We wanted to be vibrant because we weren't trying to be victims here. This is not a victim story. This is a story about what's real and our process of, of finding a way to thrive in our whole selves. 
Um, and so you see two faces in the cover of the book. You see all the vibrant colors. It represents our feelings. It represents what brings us joy. Um, and so we wanted it to, to be woman looking. We wanted it to represent sort of um, who we are, but also who we are as a collective sisterhood. So that's that's my sort of take on it. And then Kelly has bits and pieces of, of the story that I think sort of pulls it all together. Yeah. So when Ken, when we started having that conversation and Kendra's telling me, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to just give me a moment. Let me just, just help me unload this, you know, help me download. I, I want to wear this head wrap. And I, you know, my lived experience as a white woman is, well, wear the damn headband. You know, I mean, I'm like, I don't know what in the heck you're talking, where, what are you, what are you going? And I could see, and again, it goes back to what we just said with, which is how I started writing this book, very cerebral, very from my head. Mm -hmm. My response to her is, well, is there a policy that says you can't do it? And she's looking at me and like, what damn policy are you talking about? This has nothing to do with a policy. I could wear it tomorrow but here are the cultural implications. You know, I've been told up to this point, and she then explained to me how she's been told both, both ex, you know, directly and indirectly how to show up, how to wear her hair, what to wear, what, what's acceptable. And this would be breaking that norm and not only breaking that norm, but also saying to others, you know, break the norm. Um, we like to use the word in this work, disrupt, Mm -hmm. that wearing her head wrap was going to disrupt the norm. And so I knew, and I, and again, it goes back to me having done my own personal work to be able to show up for her. And I knew in that moment when I saw her face drop, when I brought up the, the policy question, I went, no, this has nothing to, this is, there's something else here. And there's a practice that I've learned in doing this work from other, um, especially anti-racism teachers, is to practice weight, which is why am I talking? So in that moment, I needed to practice weight. I needed to be quiet and let her tell her story. And so I said to her at the end, I didn't, I couldn't give her an answer because this is not my lived experience. This is, I, I don't, I could just be her friend first and her sounding board and to let her tell her story. And then I said to her, send me a picture tomorrow. I want to know what you decide. She said, I will, I'll decide in the morning. And she sent me this picture. I remember she had on this beautiful dress and it wasn't a gray suit. It wasn't a brown suit. It wasn't a navy blue suit. It was not a black suit. It was this vibrant, uh, beautiful dress. And she had this head wrap on that had like, if I remember, almost like a bow on it. I mean, it was yeah. just, yeah. and I remember just texting her back and said, you look stunning. I mean, that's all I could tell her was she looked stunning. And in the book, she tells the story of walking up all, and there's a lot of stairs going up to her building, <laughs> right? The building she lived in, or worked in, and going up all those stairs and seeing um, the, you know, and the Black women, and maybe even the Black men, you can tell this part, yeah, better, but yeah. that knew exactly what she was doing and the message she was sending. And so, um, from that moment on, you know, we started talking about this as a metaphor of her unwrapping. So what's my unwrapping? What? And the other thing about, and I'm looking at the book cover, is we wanted it to represent that whole 
flow of unwrapping. We didn't want it to be, you know, there's movement in this picture. And so we wanted to depict in the cover the movement of becoming unwrapped. It isn't just read the book and and answer the questions and you know we're we're about to launch some learning modules, do the learning modules. It wasn't that. This is lifelong work. And if we're going to do this individually and collectively, there's movement in this. It keeps moving, it keeps going. We even have moments now that I have to be open to feedback from Kendra around how I might show up at an event that we do together, how the event, you know, may have had some optics that weren't, I need to continue. I'm still open. I have to be open to that kind of feedback because I'm still unwrapping and I'm still Mm -hmm. learning um, all of that. So that's why there's movement in it. It's not sterile. That's why there's a depiction of all kinds of colors. I hope that just represents the whole contingent of women from, you know, every facet of women, um, both physically, intellectually, you know, psychologically, emotionally. So, and it took us about eight iterations of that to finally come to, nope, we don't like this part. Can you change this? So it, we knew in our head what we wanted. And then once we saw it, we said, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful. And it's, it, it makes even more sense when you both kind of speak on it and I can see the movement now and the beautiful colors and everything. Oh, there it that's is. That's the picture. I know my thing is like really in the way. So that's the picture. Wait, there's a second one because I then, after she sent me the vote of confidence, I was like, oh, okay. You know what? Day two. I'm aware of that. Oh yes. my gosh. I love that dress. Right. So that was the pictures. And yeah, she, 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 she said, what the hell? Yeah. What? <laughs> that dress is gorgeous. And you yeah. look funny. I mean, like, really, really? That's been in your closet for how long? And you haven't even put that on? She said, <laughs> go hell? disrupt the system. There you go. <laughs> See? Where that dress? Disrupt Where that the dress? system. Do it. Tell us. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Have the pictures to yeah. prove it. Mm-hmm. And that that goes very nicely into my next question, which I kind of already asked you, Kendra, in your episode, but you talk about authenticity. And I think, mm-hmm. like you both said, there's very various questions in this book that kind of make you as a reader think about yourself and your journey and the challenges that you have faced and how you want to show up in the world. Can you walk us through the thought process of that word? you know, authenticity, what it means to each of you. And then what did you mean for it in this book? Mm-hmm. So I'll, um, I'll, I'll try to create sort of an image in the minds of those who are, are listening and those who are watching of how it shows up in my head. <laughs> right. So um, I'll sort of just give you a day in a life. Mornings I wake up, um, I try to start my day an hour early before work. And in that time, I'm thinking about, you know, my, my to-do list, things that I need to get done. A lot of times it's an opportunity for me to reflect, to, <laughs> to I, I begin to interrogate myself. Like, all right, like, what do I have to do this week? How do I have to show up? I just had this interesting conversation in my head of, it's almost like um, um, 
like you're getting ready for a game and your team is like trying to hype you up, right? That's my moment. It's moment. It's, it happens all at the same time. There's this settle down, ramp it up. Okay. So that happens sort of seven o'clock to, to nine. That's like a two hour prep. Um, <clears throat> I think about things that I did this week, what I have to get done, um, conversations I need to have, all of that happens. And then I get to sort of my nine to five job. Literally, it is nine to five, my nine to five job. <clears throat> and in that space, I spend a lot of time designing and reading around disrupting inequities in education. And at the same time, we are practicing that work in our own organizations. And there are things that but I butt up against in there where I'm like, okay, so I'm still relatively new at this, this job and I see something and I will, I will say it differently than I said before. I would say what I'm about to share is to help us get closer to what we say is our core business. And then I share it. And then usually after that, I'm going to shit. I just shared that. I'm going to get fired. Oh my God, I just gave that feedback. I just did that moment. <laughs> that was really raw. It came straight out of my mouth. I did give them a warning that I'm about to say it. I'm going to say it. Now, I'm more comfortable doing that, but it always gets me like, I just did that. And I so I interrogate again. I go, was that kind, right? Mm. Did I leave people in that conversation feeling reflective, right? Was I trying to be mean? All of those things are in my head. And then, you know, I come out of that and I come into like home life, right? And so it's like, well, how am I showing up for my husband? And how, like all of that is happening all day in different situations and different moments. And I'm in a constant state of, is it real me that's going to be there? Or is it me to please someone? And I'm not talking about being authentic and mean, right? Being authentic, like saying what really is bothering me and what's on my mind, what's bringing me joy, asking what I need, all those things in a way that communicates it so that the relationship is enriched because of that interaction, not that the relationship is damaged. And it could be enriched that we have to yeah part ways like that's an enriching part of relationship too like you and I are oil and water we just won't mix and so this communication is actually doing good for us to part ways so I don't think of that as like a devastation but that's sort of what's in my mind and I try to spring myself as much as possible into the authenticity and communicating what I want and communicating my feelings and showing my emotions and and not letting things sort of go by, like unsettling until I can get to the point of boilage. And I don't want that. So that's like the day in the life of my head. Constant, yeah. constant conversation with myself about being who I am. And then all the other things like, you know, am I pretty? Am I, mm -hmm. am I tall enough? You know, all the things that you have to combat, combat about how you look and how you sound and all that stuff. And that's when I know when the hands and the effort moment goes up and I just go, dad, you know, look, okay, I'll, I'll share one other thing and then I'll stop. Like, this is my to-do list pad. 
It says, get your shit together. And the do, to do list pad is here's the easy shit, the tough shit, and the old shit down at the bottom. Love that. Right? That, that, that's Love like, that. that's like, yeah. okay. That's right. The, that's the okay. day. Yep. That's the day. This is the springboard. This is the like, just say it raw. Just, get, like, don't, just, just, just get all the shit done. Just freaking get it done. Right? Like yeah. that's, 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 that's what I've been writing on my little notepad. Yeah. We talked about the books. Oh, okay. I'm going to read that. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, I think about my authenticity. It's just constant state of thinking and interrogating and keeping myself like true, mm. but I have to talk myself into that. So I'm so glad you asked this question um, because I think we can, I think we miss I think the word authenticity or authentic can be overused. And I think we don't identify it um, enough. And in the part of the book, when I write about the post uh, kind of physical trauma I went through after leaving Gallup and part of the solution to that was getting on some good meds and seeing a good therapist, right? And one of the things that she said to me, I think three or four sessions in, is she said, you use the, in every session, you have used the word authentic. And she said, you have said that you value authenticity. You like authentic people. And I said, I think I have a bit of a radar for people who I don't feel like there's, I can't always put my finger on it, but I go, something's off there. That's, that doesn't seem real to me. That's not, mm, that's just, so, um, I also, and Kendra and I share this, we love mantras, right? We love saying, we both, when we keynote often, we both love wearing t-shirts with sayings on them and when we show up. So like mine is just as strong as the woman next to me. Mm. That's how strong I am. As strong as the woman next to me. And I spend my day, I, I like Kendra, I get up in the morning, I need some time. Um, I try to do something physical. Not always good at it. Uh, but I, if I'm really authentic, I'm not really good at it all the time. Uh, but I try to do something, you know, uh, physical. Um, and then, and then because, you know, we work from home so much, I need to have this transition into the office. Okay. So now I'm in the office, you know, it could be easy to just merge. So I'm in the office. Um, and like her, I've got two things going on. I have my own business, which is Horner Education Consulting Group. So I got to figure out what do I need to do there? And then I have our business. The book is unwrapped, but the company is Lucy Leadership Project. What's going on there? And in, in and so there's the work that needs to be done, but there's two, probably three mantras that I actually teach two of them that I try to take to heart. And one is, what part of my day do I need to choose courage over comfort? Mm. So I'll give you an example. This week I was asked to do some work for a private school and she, the director wanted all me to come on site and do all this work. And then I said to her, what's your budget? And when she gave me the budget, I know in a previous life, Kendra, Kendra Holt, pulls me in on this, I would have said, okay, I'll do it for that. And this time I said, you know, that doesn't even pay for my travel to come and see you. So um, if that's what you have to work with, we can figure out how I can maybe coach you to do the work with that, but I can't. So that's courage over comfort, you know, where Mm -hmm. I have to say no to some things. 
Um, or I have to say, this is what it's, it is. And if you can find that, then come back and, you know, give us a talk, whether that's for me or that's for the two of us with Lucy mm-hmm. Leadership. So it's choosing or it's having hard conversations with people and not tapping out of them, whatever courage over comfort is. So that's one of the ways I try to stay authentic. A second way, a mantra that I love is clear is kind. Mm-hmm. And I that's what I thought about what Kendra's example is. Sometimes we need to say some things and we say it clearly because it's the kindest thing that we can do. We we don't say the things we have to say because we think it's kinder to not tell the truth because you mm-hmm. don't want to hurt that person's feelings. The kindest thing we can do is be clear with people. Yeah, These are my values. These are my boundaries. These are my expectations. Uh, here's what's okay. Here's what's not okay. Got it. Okay. Now we can move forward with those kinds of boundaries. Otherwise I sit in resentment and I sit and, and it, and I sit mm-hmm. outside of my values, but clear is kind. Where do I need to be really clear with people? Because it's the kindest thing. So when I have to have hard conversations with someone either, you know, business wise or whatever that is, clear is kind. And then the last one that I try to live by in terms of being authentic is um, in 20, I want to say it was probably like 2017, 2016. It's when we were living in Reston, Virginia. I went to an event and I went to see this um, social justice activist that I follow on on social media. He was speaking at a uh, Martin Luther King birthday weekend kind of event. And I went to hear him speak. And someone asked him, it was a white person in the audience at the end, he did Q&A, asked him the question, what is the white person's role in social justice? And he said something that has stayed with me. And he said, tell the truth in every room that you're in. He said, you and I are in different rooms. I'm a black man. Uh, He's a black man. And he's also a member of the LGBTQ. uh, He's a gay man. Uh, community. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm in a whole lot of different rooms than you are, white woman. I, you, you know, you, I'm in a whole different mm-hmm. bunch of different places. But the places you're in, when the joke is told and it's not funny or it's racist, tell the truth. Mm-hmm. When words are used that shouldn't be used, tell the truth. So tell the truth in every room you are in. That's the least that you can do. And so those are three. When I think of authentic, authenticity, I think about when I walk into this office, where do I choose courage over comfort? Where do I practice clear as kind? And where do I need to tell the truth in every room that I'm in? So that's kind of how I try to keep myself grounded in authenticity. Yeah. Oh, I love all of those answers. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. they just, they stick with me and they like hit, you know, it's like a punch in the gut of like good things. And it, the last one, especially the tell the truth in every room you're in. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in my high school guidance counselor's office and I was going through a really hard time. And the poster on her wall behind her said, stand up for what's right, even if you're standing alone. Mm -hmm. And I remember in that moment feeling like that's a really powerful thing to say and not thinking of the consequences of that or not thinking of, or or saying it that way makes you feel alone. But I think Mm -hmm. that you know, if I think about that in comparison to what you just said, I also think about the fact that, you know, maybe you take that first step and then somebody else will join you or you took that step because somebody else couldn't or, and there's mm-hmm. certain parts about it, like my own white privilege where like, it is my duty to do something. If I, if I can, and if I will, it's my duty to do something. And I think that all of those are very important. 
Yeah. And since, you know, our book is written primarily for women, although we want men to read it because we need <laughs> allies and co-conspirators from the, the men, um, you know, this, this clear is kind. One of the things women have, and Kendra and I have talked about how do we address, help women address this is boundary setting. You know, how do you say no? And the clearest thing you can say is, you know, I, I just don't have the capacity for that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you come back in a couple of months, maybe, maybe something might be different, but I need to say no. And what that does, even though, like you just said, Kendall is, so you're standing alone in that. No, what it does, the reward you get is you get to stay in your own integrity. You get mm-hmm. to stay, because if I say yes to this, I'm going to be cussing you out every moment I'm doing that thing I just said yes to, because I don't want to do it, or I don't have the capacity to do it, or I'm doing it at eight o'clock at night, or I'm doing it on a Sunday afternoon. And I am Mm -hmm. mad at you for even asking me. And then I get madder at myself because I didn't say. So that's part of this authenticity is how do we create our own boundaries too? And clear as kind means I can say no to something, but you know, this example I gave, no, I can't do that but I might have somebody that can do that for you. You know, may I, can I make a recommendation of somebody Mm -hmm. else you could go to if I, if I know someone, Mm -hmm. you know, or no, I can't do that. But when your resource, your financial resources um, are better, you know, or you have a funder, let me know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's, that's how I try to approach authenticity. Yeah, no, that's, those are all great answers. And I really appreciate that conversation and having these things said out loud. And it also leads into the next part, which is the term co-conspirator and the way that you used it in this book. I, I personally, and I know others must have, but I have never heard that term used in that way. And the way that it was like, I've heard ally. I haven't even, I don't think heard accomplice maybe, but like the way that, you know, can you give us a little bit of background or explanation on those three terms, how they're used? I'll I'll start with giving lots of credit to, I think, um, a sister in the work on anti-racism, especially in education, around being very clear about the difference between those three terms, and that is Dr. Mm -hmm. Patina Love. And we we lift her name up in this book because she has a wonderful um, explanation in her book, but also in her C-SPAN book talk that she did in 2019 of describing the difference between the three. I'll just say this, it's a continuum, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it Going from ally to, a compl- uh, to co-conspirator, we all strive to be co-conspirators, especially if we wanna disrupt the system, mm-hmm. but it's a, you move up and down the, the continuum of it, depending on situations and moments and events that occur and how you need to show up mm-hmm. depending on the situation. Uh, Kelly does a really good job of describing the differences among the three. And I will jump in and sort of give sort of a take on being um, a a receiver of that. So we're talking more specifically Mm -hmm. around like racial ally, accomplice and co-conspirator. And then I'll also give another take on what that looks like among women of color, like among my, Mm -hmm. my Black peers and what that looks like as well. Cause that has a, that has a different flavor. Hmm. So I'm gonna pass it to Kelly to, to sort of give the quick, quick uh, definitions. Yeah. So when Kendra and I were writing this book, one of the things we talked about is, you know, women gather, we gather, uh, she and I both been to 
education conferences of only women, where we go to conferences, we gather, we learn, we network with each other, we're mentoring each other, we're coaching each other. And we have to keep doing that, but it's not sufficient because it's not, it's not moving the numbers of women who are in education leadership positions at high levels and staying there and thriving. And so we were trying to figure a way, how do we, what is the gap? And part of the gap is how, and part of, that's how we came up with using partly this ally, accomplice and co-conspirator. So an ally is, and this is the way I explain it. And, and, and again, Dr. Patina Love, if, if, if your readers would just Google her C-SPAN um, video on YouTube, you can have her explain it. And it's just amazing. But Ally is kind of 101. It's just that beginning. It's me back in 2020 starting to understand, unwrap some of my internalized racism, misogyny, uh, what the patriarchy has, all of that, right? So it's knowing the words. It's I will stand next to you. You know, it's let's do this thing together. So it's kind of like that beginning level. And, and I like the word continuum that Kendra used. And so as we continue to do that work and we gain confidence and authenticity, then we move into accomplice. And accomplice might be, you know, I'll stand with you. I might even stand behind you. I might even speak up for you um, from time to time. Um, uh, let me know how I can help, you know, kind of thing. I may not initiate it, but let me know what you need. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm getting there. And then as we continue to do the work and we become, and we gain our confidence and we gain our um, authenticity, then we become co-conspirators. Co-conspirator is let's disrupt this, this system. This system's not working for us. Let's do this together. It's when Kendra and I are in a meeting together, she comes up with a great idea and no one says anything. 20 minutes later, the white person, usually it's a white male, says the exact same thing. And I stand up and say, hold on a second. Kendra just said that 20 minutes ago. I want to, since it was her original idea, let's have her unpack it for us. That is me risking something that, and for me, what I have to risk is my white privilege. It's my white standing in any system that I can risk that because as Dr. Love explains, guess what happens the next day? My, my privilege card is full again. Mm -hmm. So, so what, so co-conspirator starts to ask, you have to start to ask yourself, what am I willing to risk in order to uplift other women, voices who have been historically marginalized or, and let's say, and, um, and in this case, we're talking about women, women, black women, women of color, indigenous members of LGBTQ plus community that have historically been, um, treated differently in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Expectations are different. So I'm willing to risk something and I'm willing to, 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 to create a new way of us being able to show up. Um, so it's much more active and there's a risk involved. So it's, it's this, do start the work, become an ally. I'm with you. Let's do this together. Move into accomplice. I'm willing to do some things. I can do some things now because I understand a co-conspirator uh, co is I'm all in. Let's 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 recreate a new way, and a new way of being. And that's where we think we can start making some gains because we're trying to live and thrive within systems that weren't created for us or by us. And it, we what happens is we turn into our we turn to our hustler, which is the opposite of authenticity, um, in order to fit in rather than belong. Mm -hmm. And so what? Um, so. 
as Kelly describes that, what does that mean for me working with her, right? Mm -hmm. As, as, as an ally. And that means for someone like me, I am not educating Kelly on how to treat me. That's not how it works, right? Allyship requires Kelly or people other than me, right? The non-oppressed group to do their own work. There is not a reliance on Kelly to say, so Kendra, can you teach me how I should treat you? No, 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 right? So that's that's number one. Um I'm looking for accomplices and co-conspirators. I, I, allies, great, right? You're, you're, <laughs> you're in your baby stage, <laughs> right? And it's great because that is the self-work. But when it comes to the, the hard things, when it comes to who are we going to lock arms with, when it comes to how we're going to um, fight the injustices. I, I need Kelly to be next to me, in front of me, blocking, mm. right? I need I need that. Her skin has to be in the game in, in this fight for disruption of the system. Um, that's how trust is built, especially around racism, misogyny. I mean, the, the, the trust of, of, of white people for me is to what extent are you willing to give of yourself knowing you're going to take, take the hits too, to what extent are you willing to do that? Um, and, and that level of trust gets built over time as the demonstration of that act, which is an act of humanity right? It's a human justice issue when you start to put yourself out there for those who have been oppressed and you know have been humanely wrong. Mm -hmm. um, within our own communities, we are combating the socialization of what that looks like and how we show up. And, you know, I, I try to have um, sisters in my space who, who are supporting each other through the continuum, right? Um, and this might be a little controversial as I even think about how I'm wrestling with this in my head. You know, we all have our journeys. And as I, I meet and talk with my other Black sisters, each of us are trying to survive. And there are moments where there's only so much that I can give to sort of help people <laughs> sort of unwrap. And if they don't want to, for that fear, I understand that. Now, I used to be in a place where I did not understand that. And I would absolutely be like, I just can't with you. I just can't, right? But I, <laughs> I cannot criticize when I hustled in a different way, just because my mm -hmm. hustle looked different then my other sister didn't make me better, right? And so I am much more, um, I'm still understanding and being supportive of, of my sisters and those journeys because it is hard. 
it is hard when you are trying to find that worth, when you're trying to be validated that you belong, when you are one of the very few that might be in the office, that might be in a position that you're in, an environment, a culture, a workspace, or even if you're not one of the few, the ideology that has permeated will cause even women of color to reinforce it for the sake of assimilating, a sake of um, trying to make sure you protect yourself from the hits. And so, you know, how do I be an ally? That's me learning about my sisterhood, Mm -hmm. right? So one of the books that I also talk about is Hood Feminism. That is a really good book by um, Mickey Kendall. And then just reading more of the research from Kimberly Crenshaw around intersectionality and what that means, even among people of color. So, you know, how can I be an ally among my own, you know, peers? How can I be an accomplice, right? I think part of this book is an, is an act of being an accomplice and helping to put myself out there mm-hmm. to, to share my own unwrapping and and what that looks like in that process. And then co-conspiratorship, like I'm down to be like, sis, no, you are harming her and put myself out there for losing a friend, potentially a friend, losing a relationship, um, the skin, skin, you know, in the game to do that. That's so complex within my Black community. And then the community I'm talking about, I'm not talking about community at large. I'm talking about the circle of friends and family that I'm in. Um, I fight the forces of assimilation all the time. Uh, And so just being more cognizant of what that, how that shows up for me as a Black woman to go from ally to co-conspirator within my own community. I mean, there has to be more to, to, to the complexity of that than I'm that I'm describing, but I'm trying to understand it um, th- through my own sort of de- <laughs> detoxing and rehabilitation through mm-hmm. my authenticity. So I don't even know if that makes sense, but th- th- just <laughs> trying to, you know, the complexity of that, even in my mind as I wrestle with it, and I have lots of examples of how that shows up, but that will call out some people and I don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, mm-hmm. it's we're not there yet. I'm still wrestling mm-hmm. with what that looks let, like. Let me just let me just jump off, uh, springboard off of two things that she said. And one is, and we we have said this. I have said this in several of our co keynotes. We are not suggesting that white women go out and find themselves a black woman friend, or black women go out and find a white woman friend. Because until we've done our own work, we can be very, we're dangerous. We can be very dangerous. Um, We've got to do some of that. And we are also not suggesting go to your closest black woman and get yourself educated. That's not their job. The, the, those that benefit the most from the system are responsible for mostly changing the system. Oh yeah. So it's white women, and we're talking about women in this particular case, 
It's, it's our responsibility to learn and to figure out how do we change the system so we can invite all women equally mm-hmm. into the system. It's, and this is why we encourage men to read it because white men ultimately benefit from the system. And mm-hmm. it's up to them and not to educate us and mentor us into how to play in the system, but to change the system so that to step mm-hmm. aside so we can can rise up to uh, positions that we aspire to. So that's and deserve and mm-hmm. deserve. Yeah. And often often deserve above them, but they're getting them. Mm-hmm. So for them to say, mm, no, it really shouldn't be me. It should be her. Um, would be a co-conspirator example for for a man. The other thing I think I heard Kendra say is there's a readiness level for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, and we've experienced this and I've experienced this from white women. The minute I say white privilege, we get some kind of, of kickback. That doesn't mean, as a co-conspirator, it doesn't mean I'm gonna stop saying it because it's real. It's now my role can be to encourage white women to unpack what does that mean for them? Mm-hmm. Where do they feel that? What do they need to do to understand so that it doesn't become so emotional for them? It doesn't feel like a gut punch every time they hear it, but yet it eventually moves from their from their gut up into their head so they more, they understand it intellectually and they understand, okay, here's how I can be. Because unless white women get their, their hearts and minds around their privilege, they cannot become co-conspirators. They've got to understand that. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll get, the, and, and we've said to each other, when we get criticism around some of the words and things we say, we mean that tells us we're doing the right work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. There exactly. you go. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And so what is it that you hope to accomplish with this book? What is the biggest tech takeaway we should have as readers and what, what did you hope to accomplish? On the personal side, um, for me was to get back to me, right? To be able to offload all the things that I've sort of been thinking about and put it in into words to help it make sense in my head and to begin my new my new life or a life anew. So that's on the personal side. And it has done that in more ways than I ever imagined it would do. But our main objective is to increase the number of women in leadership positions and have them stay there and thrive, not suffer because they got there, Mm -hmm. stay there and thrive and do it in a way that they know how. And that brings their genius and their beauty and everything about who they are as leaders to the work. So that that's. The book is a way for people to begin to tell their own story, to begin to understand that they're not alone and to help them with some tools and strategies to begin giving themselves permission to say, I am enough and I can and I can do hard things. Thank you, Glennon Doyle. Um, and then overall is moving that needle, right? Making sure that we articulate what it is that we want and how we're going to lead. Um, and if 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 not given, 
What can we create? I'm not saying take, Mm -hmm. what can we create? Because taking is a white dominant ideology. So we're not talking about take something. We're talking about if if, if the, the opportunity is not afforded, how do you then create the opportunity for yourself? Yeah, I think, I think it's twofold. I think it's um, it very, um, for individual women, I mean, for me, it was therapy, right? There was mm. a lot of therapy involved in creating this book. Um, there was a lot of, you know, we use the word unwrapping and unwrapping of some things, you know, telling your that stories over and over again. There's something, their clarity comes um, as you continue to tell it. Um, but there is, there is some, indiv- I hope it gives women their opportunity to do some individual work that most professional leadership opportunities development opportunities aren't giving us it's different right it's it's very it can be very it's very personal so that's one then the second one is to create what Kendra said so my my researchy uh analytical side will say 80 percent nearly 80 percent of women are teachers in the classroom and less than 30 percent are in senior level positions superintendent uh uh uh, district level positions, right? Um, and that's a number that people just go, what? Isn't it a female dominated profession? Yeah, but we're it, not when you get past principal. You then drill down to the statistics around women of color and the numbers are even worse. Um, and then staying there over time, you look at retention levels because we're trying to fit into a system. We're trying to hustle ourselves into a system that doesn't allow us to thrive. And I just believe fundamentally that if we want to change the landscape of schools and what schooling feels like for students, we need women. Women are going to lead that charge. Women are going to lead lead that. But like Kendra said, it's not within the system that currently exists. We need to rise to those positions and create a new way of, of, of schooling, a new system of schooling. So twofold. One, it's for women to go through their own individual unwrapping and then come together as a collective to move the numbers. Thank you both. I greatly appreciate everything you said. And before we do any sign off, because apparently we're at our time, I don't know how that happened. I want to leave the listeners with a few of my favorite questions that you both ask in the book. So the first being identify a courageous journey you will take for yourself or for someone else. Why is this courageous? Who is on your journey with you? Recall a conversation that changed the trajectory of your life. How do you want to be brave and are you in your life and work? How can you move from being an ally to an accomplice and then a co-conspirator? What are coping mechanisms you use to survive? And what is your comfortable outfit? Those are some of my favorite questions. Some that had me sit back and think and journal and bring to my therapist. (laughs) And I just have nothing but admiration and gratitude for you both. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for giving me any ounce of your time and having these conversations. You have no idea how amazing this has been. And I can't thank you enough. Thank Thank you you for having us. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for asking. And everybody go out and buy your copy of Unwrapped. Wherever, wherever books are sold.
wherever right. books are sold, give it to your friends, to your family, to your entire school if you are a teacher. Yes. And keep listening and I'll see you for another episode. Thanks everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Now, before you go, I want to announce that the unofficial book club podcast has launched its first book club on the Fable app. I'm super, super excited about it. It will be moderated by me, Kendall Gaber, but please join along and read with me. If you don't know what the Fable app is, it's this incredible app where all these different book clubs can exist online and people from across the world can join in to read alongside one another, commenting, sharing, posting, et cetera. And you feel like you're a part of a community reading a book together. And that's what I really want to bring. I feel like with my guests, I get to hear about so many different amazing books across so many different genres. And so to be able to bring that to life in a space where we can interact, me and the listeners and my friends and family, that's what I most want. So starting in October, we will be reading our first book. And because it's spooky season, it's got to be a spooky season book. So the first book of the month is... Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper. I've heard nothing but good things about this book, so I'm super excited to read it. And I've picked our November read as well, which is going to be One Dark Window by Rachel Gillig. So if you find that our October read, Payback's a Witch, is not for you, then join us in November to read One Dark Window, which is more of a fantasy book. Again, one I've heard nothing but good things about, so I'm super excited. But please join whenever you want each month when a book feels like it's calling to you and read alongside, comment, share, reach out to me on Instagram with any book suggestions if you have any. Because starting in December, I'm going to be putting out polls on Instagram to see what books you all would want to read next. But in the meantime, join me in October to read Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper and then in November for One Dark Window by Rachel Gillig. I'm so excited to start this and see where it goes. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Unofficial Book Club, where life and stories meet. The Book Club episode. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're interested in any of the books that were discussed in this episode or any of the episodes, they're always listed in the show notes. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Unofficial Book Club Pod, and don't forget to rate and share with all of your friends. Until next time.